Welcome back to Hit Subscribe, where we chat with key leaders in the e-commerce space to discuss the present and future state of commerce optimization. I'm your host, Kat, content marketing strategist at Recharge. On today's episode, we chat with Jason Latshaw of Herd and Grace to discuss how they balance having a higher price point with acquisition and marketing and ways that they've really innovated in elevating the customer experience. Hello, I'm here with Jason Latshaw from Herd and Grace. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So why don't you go ahead and tell me kind of the story of Herd and Grace? Sure, absolutely. So Herd and Grace is a artisanal upscale premium protein home delivery service. So it grew very organically out of kind of a parent company here in Los Angeles called Think Culinary, which has for years now provided upscale proteins from around the world to Michelin rated restaurants, five-star steakhouses in Los Angeles, California, the entire Southwest. You know, actually with the pandemic, we found that we had to shift that a bit and that being able to offer it to people at home as fewer people were in restaurants and some restaurants were shut down altogether, we survived the pandemic by shifting things online. And then coming out of the pandemic, we decided to formalize this and not just be kind of an offshoot of Think Culinary, but its own brand. And that's when Herd and Grace was born. And it was conceived as really trying to capture this upscale restaurant experience, but bringing it home. And so this is different than, you know, a home chef or a butcher box, because this isn't necessarily, unless you're very affluent, an everyday experience. You're not eating this steak for dinner on a Tuesday. This is for anniversaries and celebrations and birthdays. And, you know, when you have something, when you really want to make an event special, that's what Herd and Grace is for, because these are some of the finest steaks that you'll find in the world. We have Wagyu and barley fed and grass fed. And so that's been our strategy. It's like, how do we deliver kind of a celebration, the finest steaks? You know, the experience is going to be top notch every time. That's been our vision. That's been our strategy since we launched at the beginning of the year. You know, so far, the, the response has been really gratifying and exciting. So since it's not really marketed as an everyday experience, what is the general cadence that you guys offer to your customers? Well, we do still offer once a month, but we'll offer up to once every six months in terms of oh, subscription. Okay. And then we do also offer, by the way, one-time boxes. We have a box that's for like grilling in the summer. We have a box that's for the holidays. We have different, different boxes that kind of seasonally are available throughout the year. But most of our customers do subscribe normally. I mean, the average is like every other month, I would say. And then how much do you get in that one package? Is there options for like how much yeah, you get? absolutely. We actually have three. So you can either pick like a preset curated box that has a theme, a Wagyu box or a grass-fed box or something like that. People can choose exactly what they want to go into their boxes, even on a monthly basis. So we have three levels. We have kind of the bronze, gold, and platinum, because some cuts are obviously a lot more expensive than others. And they can then choose how much they have. But in general, I would say anywhere between probably five pounds and 20 pounds is what the boxes have on a monthly basis. Nice. That's very exciting. So you do offer it kind of on a regular cadence if the customer wants. It's quite flexible. And then you are doing memberships now. 
Yes. Yeah, so one of the things that also I think sets us a little bit apart is we do have a membership model where if you become a member, there are certain perks. Like, first of all, you get a gift of $150 worth of stakes right off the bat. But it's also it's envisioned as kind of this like VIP experience. So you get a discount off of every order. You get free shipping. You know, you get an $80 shipping credit. So free shipping for most people. But if you're really far away and you order something really heavy, you might have to pay a little something, but you save the $80. And then on top of that, we kind of look at ourselves as like the neighborhood butcher shop, especially now in America, a lot of neighborhood butcher shops don't exist anymore. So if you're part of the club and we get, we're able to source like a rare cut that's barely ever available. And this happens a lot because generally what you can find in a grocery store is pretty limited, right? Because most good cuts of steak go to restaurants. And so if you're part of our membership club, you'll get a notification for us like, hey, just so that you know, we have a small batch of Wagyu outside skirt. And this is something you're not going to be able to find in a grocery store. You're not going to be able to find really anywhere else. This is hard to find if you're not a restaurateur. And so that's a pretty exciting perk as well for being a member is you get actually like exclusive access to those kind of cuts that sell out very quickly. Since it's not exactly like the home chef kind of experience, do you also still offer instructions on how to cook the meat? Or is it really just here's this great experience and then you kind of give that freedom up to the customer to figure out how they want to cook it? We give them options of kind of best practices for cooking a steak. And it does vary. Like if you look at, we have a product page for every cut that we have. And so on there, you can see kind of recommended serving ways and there are different methods for different cuts, of course, like a tri-tip is going to be different than a filet mignon and that kind of thing. And so we will give best practices. And we also have a lot of recipes on our site, but we're not necessarily selling an entire meal like Home Chef. So it is kind of like, here's the best practices. Right. Here's enjoy a great steak. One thing that is, you know, to brag about our steaks a little bit is we really have the philosophy that our steaks taste so good. They're raised the right way. They're prepared the right way. They don't require a lot of like other things to make them taste good. So when it comes to recipes, most of our steaks are good with just like a little bit of salt on it. I mean, honestly, and anything else you want to add or do with it, that's, you know, fine. But sometimes we just like to have the natural flavor of the steak take center stage. Yeah, that's like what comes with really high quality steaks, right? So Sorry, random side note, but like I had a hyperfixation phase on like steaks during the pandemic and went through all of those recipes of like ways to cook steak. And always it was like if you find a really good piece of steak, you really want the flavor of it to come out. You only really need maybe like butter and salt or something like just to bring the flavor out. But you don't need to like season it like you would chicken, for example. Exactly. And you know, growing up, I was a ketchup kid. Like I was obsessed with ketchup. I, on- I still, by the way, I still like ketchup. But now I understand why a good chef might get a little offended when you ask for ketchup with your steak or any kind of like steak sauce even, because that's mostly then what you taste. You can't taste the steak so much anymore. So we have some great recipes for sauces and stuff like that. But we do also encourage people like just Trust the steak, like try the steak. Trust the process. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so that sounds great. I can definitely see the perks of having a membership. And honestly, it's interesting because I think prior to the pandemic, this probably wouldn't have appealed to me much at all because it just feels so like bougie. 
But like post pandemic, I'm so in. I'm like, wait, that sounds like actually a really good deal and experience to be able to have at home. And you mentioned briefly that, you know, you just kind of launched your program and it's been doing kind of well. Can you tell me how it's been doing in terms of have you seen a great acquisition or retention? What kind of results have you seen? Yeah, I think one thing, and I've worked in other industries with other clients for a long time now. One of the things that's kind of exciting about this is the ROAS on the initial order is because our price point is so high, like the ROAS is really, really high, like a 3.5 or a 4.5 even. Even if the customer acquisition is fairly high, again, on the first purchase, the ROAS that we're seeing is like 4.5, which is really exciting. One thing that we've learned, which makes sense, but I don't think we initially expected it or knew that this would happen for sure, but a lot of customers are buying the box without a subscription first, and then we work to convert them into the subscription and the membership, which intuitively actually makes sense when you think about it. Like it's such a high price point. Why should they commit to a membership before they know whether they even like the taste of the steaks and that kind of thing and before they've experienced the quality? But that's one thing that we've realized. Also that that it takes about two weeks of awareness before a customer will jump in in the first place. So we've kind of learned that, all right, we need to expose this. You know, We've exposed people to how amazing this is for at least two weeks. Then they buy the box. And then we need to tell them about all the great perks of being a member and of subscribing and locking in some savings quantity too, because this is small batch protein. Like we import most of our protein from Australia and Tasmania, and those are from small farms and ranches. Like the cows have at least a one cow per acre ratio. So it's pretty incredible when you think about here in California, driving up the fives, you will drive by these and entire fields of cows just packed together. And it's the exact opposite in Australia. And that actually really makes a difference, but it also makes a difference in supply. So if someone's a member or they're a subscriber, they can be sure to get the cuts of steak that they need for the special events where otherwise we might be sold out on the site. Mm, so there's kind of like that guaranteed access as well kind of component. That's exactly. cool. Also, those cows have more estate than we do and can afford in like the GTA. <laughs> I mean, honestly, they have, you kind of get jealous of them when you watch the video. They're by the ocean. They're in these gorgeous green fields. They don't have a care in the world. And it's like the most idyllic life. I, I have to say. <laughs> Goals. <laughs> Gotta figure it out. That's so funny. Have you guys ever considered doing like a free trial or like a change from this trial to a subscription kind of workflow to make sure you're not losing out on those initial customers who are buying one time? So it's a great point. And we've put a lot of thought into that. One of the issues that we deal with as a company is to get the stakes to people to actually deliver to them. We have to send it two day FedEx and it's, you know, it's got dry ice with it and everything. It's an expensive proposition. Like the actual shipping costs a lot more than most other products, right? So free test, free taste, free samples, the way that we've been able to kind of make that work is a hybrid between online and real life, where here in Los Angeles, we actually do a, a number of tasting events where we kind of let the people that are within our target demographic, people that would be interested, come to a special event where we have a couple of our chefs who know exactly how to cook our food and in our very personable 
And we have, think culinary, we have a great office with a test kitchen. And so we can host events with like 40 people where they come and they taste each cut of the meat and they see how special it is. And we can tell them we have a, a Zoom meeting with a farmer in Australia standing in a field with his cows and people can ask him questions. <laughs> and that's been really effective. So, so what we're doing there is we're taking advantage of some of the assets that we have because we don't have an unlimited marketing budget. Yeah. We're not venture capital funded. We're just working with, with what we have. But the assets that we have is we have an amazing product, the fantastic meat. We have passionate staff on our side. We have relationship with really amazing chefs who believe in the steak. And we're located in a fantastic city. So by doing that, we can find a lot of customers that way by actually having these tasting events and letting people be exposed to the steak in kind of the best possible way. It's also great because a lot of the questions are like, well, yeah, this tastes wonderful now, but how's it going to taste when I take it home? Our chefs are very honest. Like, actually, this isn't the hardest thing in the world to prepare. It really isn't. Like, you, you just have to follow a few simple rules and it'll be fantastic every time. And that that really, people are very nervous about that. And that really lightens a lot of people's stress about, about whether this can really be a celebration at home for them as well. I think with the pandemic, you mentioned it, that you got interested in steaks during the pandemic. And I think the pandemic kind of taught a lot of us that, oh, actually, we can make really good food on our own, too. Like, it's not all about going to a restaurant all the time. And it was interesting with the pandemic because when the restaurants did open back up, a lot of times you were eating in like a parking lot with paper plates and plastic silverware. And all of a sudden, the food didn't taste quite as good, right? Because the context wasn't as so it's almost like restaurants, and I, and I think that they've recovered since then, but I think people realize we got better at cooking at home. Restaurants got a little worse as an experience, and we realized, oh, I don't need to go out all the time to have an amazing celebration. And the, the interesting thing is, while our product is expensive, compared to a, a night at a restaurant, it is actually a bargain. Like, if you want to take eight people out for a birthday to a restaurant versus buying one of our boxes and serving it at home, it's hundreds of dollars difference by far. That's actually amazing and a really good point too. And I think this is a conversation that I've had with a few people. The way that society is going is we actually are moving kind of into this idea of wanting like real authentic experiences, whether it's like in the restaurant or out in the mall or whatever, being able to bring it back home and have like the nostalgic feeling Anything nostalgia. Nostalgia sells right now. <laughs> and it, that, it brings up a good point. It's one of the reasons I'm really excited about Hurt and Grace is because in Tasmania, which before I started working on this, I have to, I'm embarrassed to admit, I did not know it was an island off of the coast of Australia, but it is. <laughs> it's part of Australia, the state of Australia. But in Tasmania and Australia, there, it is almost like a time machine when it comes to these farms. Like they are literally raising their cows the same way that their ancestors have been doing for hundreds of years. And the really beautiful thing is that by creating outlets like this for their product, we're able to maintain that lifestyle because otherwise they feel the economic pressure, right? To sell to developers and to have strip malls and that kind of thing. But because we're able to create these new markets for them, they're able to preserve that life for their children and that kind of thing and keep that going. And one of our one of our chefs, Sarah Glover, is actually from Tasmania. She says it's really, really gratifying to her. She grew up around that. 
and to see that survive and partially due to our efforts is a is a really excellent thing. It's a great mix of nostalgia and old ways and kind of new technology with recharge subscriptions and Shopify websites and being able to mix that all together to preserve an old way of life is, I think, a really beautiful thing. I love that. I'm like, obviously a very emotional person. I don't know if that's obvious to you because this is like the third time we've talked, but to those who have listened already, obviously I'm a very emotional person, but I really love the way that Herd and Grace's story comes out, like through your products, through even talking to you right now and through the way that you market you're really like, even with your in-person events, you're like, come and eat with us and see why yes. you need to buy this product. I love that. I think that's just like the perfect marriage of all of the things you can have in a brand. And are your in-person events like quite successful at converting? I'm curious about that. So they are, but we are also figuring out ways to improve them with every event that we have. My director of marketing, Erica Fernandez, and I actually literally talk after every event like, what could we have done better? What, how did this work? How did that work? Like in some ways, we treat it almost like a real life landing page A-B test or something like that, where we're trying to think like, okay, we should add this little intro in the first five minutes. And the last, the last discussion we had, we were like, you know, wine tastings are so successful at getting people to buy the wine afterwards. What are wine tastings doing that we're not doing and, you know, coming up with a number of lessons about that. So, I mean, we're still in the thick of this and figuring this out. But my eventual goal of these tastings that we do try to get like a 10% conversion rate. And I don't know if that's overly optimistic, but I don't think it is. I think that we can absolutely reach that point because everybody there leaves the event raving about how this is the best steak they've ever had. And I think that as long as we have the right demographic mix in there and everything, then we should be able to hit that 10%. That's so funny because I had this conversation with David in, in a previous episode. I asked, because he's been in the industry, David from Simprove, sorry. He's been in the industry for like 25 years. And I asked him what his prediction was for the future of e-commerce. And one of the things he said was he thinks that there will be more in-person sort of events tied in with selling your product and like ways we can collaborate and like things like that. Anyways, so that's really yeah. interesting. I think it's a really great idea. And I also think from what I've seen in the e-commerce trends that what you're doing right now is going to be successful for your brand, but it just might take a little bit longer because your net that you're casting isn't as wide as what you can cast with like online marketing and ads, right? These are in-person, so you have like limited capacity. But I think the opportunity to convert is so much higher there because it's like going into a mall or to a to yeah. a store to try on clothes. Exactly. So that's really cool. Yeah, and the other thing to add about the events is, you know, in terms of efficiency, they provide a lot of content for our online marketing also because the product photos are one thing. But if you see kind of the exciting event where the steak is the is the star of the show and there's a lot of motion there's a lot of people we found that that's the content that performs the best in our online marketing too so it kind of helps both arenas and then do you invite very strategically to these events is it kind of an open invite do you bring like influencers to create content that you know is going to be used like for marketing later how does that work We've done all of that. So we work with a PR company, Blaze PR here in LA, and we do journalist and influencer events. Those are more for publicity rather than conversion. 
But we'll also do like we just hosted an event with the Young Presidents Organization, which is a lot of entrepreneurs and C-level people and executives. And so we hosted one of their networking events, for instance. The event was a tasting and it was also a Young Presidents networking event. We'll do that kind of thing where it's kind of like an organization of people that we think would be interested in this. We'll host events for them as well. Like we have another one coming up where it's a, a woman in Los Angeles who has a following because she she offers like cooking classes. And so she's going to have a lot of her fans come and she's going to cook Herd and Grace steaks for them and teach them how that works and then recommend that they buy the Herd and Grace as well. So it, it, there's a number of kind of different reasons. At some point in the future, I could see in certain cities actually setting up like tastings that people can register for, make it a ticketed event even or something like that. So we're, we're, we have all that on the table. We're trying to figure out the very best way. Again, we have to be innovative because we don't have this, you know, normally the answer is just spend millions on advertising, but we don't have an unlimited budget to spend on advertising. So we have to be kind of nimble with what's the very best way to, to make people aware of this product. Yes. Innovate, innovate, innovate. That I think is the theme for all D2C and e-commerce brands this year with all of the changes. That's amazing. So I'm curious, once you've gotten a customer converted, how do you keep them and get them to stay? What ways are you kind of working on your retention? We have a very human-based approach to that. One of the advantages of having customers that are worth a lot of money is you can invest a lot of attention in every single one of them. So we actually have people on our team who will look at all the different customers. I mean, we also will have like automated text, you know, kind of the standard automated text to go out, automated emails. But one of the things that we're finding is that our people really do value kind of a personal touch. We have almost a concierge approach with that, where if we see that we have a really good customer who hasn't purchased anything in a month, we will actually reach out to them via email and say, hey, this is Nick here. I just want to let you know, we have a free Wagyu if you buy this box going on this week. And it's a really good steak. It's a ribeye. It's a, normally $120, but we got an excess amount from Japan. And we want you to know, I'd love to send you some. Would you be interested? And our customers like that kind of approach. You know, they're, again... It's trying to create this, the entire brand is to make people feel like, oh, this is a special product. This is a special part of my life. When it comes to customer service, we really try to minimize any negative experiences whatsoever and turn anything into a positive experience, even if it starts off negatively. But we found that, that we're still figuring out just how scalable that is. And we're trying to do, we do automations as well. But right now, both in conversion and in retention, we find that that kind of VIP, you know, people even say, is this a real person? Like prove that you are a person. Right. Yeah. A person can prove that they're a person because they are. People respond really well to that. So interesting. And that seems to be a recurring theme that I've yeah. heard from merchants here and like talking to them at Tarjax. Customers really respond well to humans. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that, it's interesting because I think that there's certain places where people might appreciate automation, which is like maybe change my order or cancel my order, like little simple things like that. But I think there's actually, there's an area of service where people actually resent automation. They want a person mm -hmm. like, and 
it fits our brand, right? Because we're small batch proteins. So there's a little bit of a disconnect if you're small batch proteins and then all of your customer service is done by some like algorithm. So a lot of times part of the appeal is, oh, okay, I can talk to someone who really knows the steaks, really knows the proteins, and I can ask them a question if I need to. And I know they're kind of looking after me and they know, you know, another example is, so we ship every Wednesday. We collect all of our orders from the week and then we ship on Wednesday. And that's because we want to be able to be sure that the deliveries happen within two days that the customers are able to take the delivery. We don't have boxes strayed and, you know, in a bush somewhere that's rotting away. We want to have a control over it. So we tell all of our customers, you know, order by Tuesday at noon. They ship on Wednesday. They have two days. They'll be delivered by Thursday or Friday. Make sure you're able to take delivery of it. We had one customer who needed delivery by Thursday. She was local. She was in Los Angeles. And, you know, normally we would not be able to guarantee that. But again, this is an example of, I think, really thrilled her. We were able to prepare her box and just have her come to our office and pick it up on Wednesday. Now, that's the kind of thing that I think people don't feel like they're caught in the the gears of a large corporation. Then they're like, it's very primal. They're buying like small batch steaks from a person that they can go and see their face if they need to. And even though that's not completely scalable, I think we're trying to figure out ways that we can make that as scalable as possible because that... Again, that kind of fits the brand. Yeah, I love that. And I agree. Like, I think it is consistent with your brand to be able to offer that in-person experience or that human experience because people know they're ordering from a small batch business. Like people know what they're getting themselves into. So it would be almost jarring to be met with like all of these robots and automated things. Right, exactly. It feels more like a like an Amazon experience. You know what I mean? Like nobody's going to Amazon expecting a small batch experience. Like people know what yeah. <laughs> I have no expectation to even get anybody on the phone at Amazon. I'm like, oh yeah, there's no way I'm going to be able to talk to anyone. This is a behemoth, you know? But first of all, we actually, we really are limited in terms of if we got a hundred thousand more customers tomorrow, we wouldn't have steak to sell them. Like we have to, we actually have to like look at our inventory versus our marketing because there's not an unlimited supply of what we sell. There really isn't. To launch, we actually had to put together a wait list of, you know, letting people in a few at a time because we wanted to make sure that their first experience wasn't, oh, everything's sold out. We're sorry, we're out of it. We don't have unlimited supply and it's seasonal. It has to do with a number of factors. So we don't want to look like a behemoth because we're not a behemoth and we're, we never will be. We actually never will be. We don't want to grow to that amount because then we won't be consistent with our brand anymore. We're always going to be constrained by quality, by the ability. Mm, That's spot on. Like I attended an event for API months a couple of weeks ago in New York City and the founder of HealthAid Kombucha, actually one of her tips that she gave and she, you know, that company is huge now, but the tips that she gave, it was very like, it's so tempting as a DSC business to say yes to every opportunity to sell, but it's so much more important to like nurture the growth properly and to consider like operationally, what can your company do so that you are still maintaining like that brand consistency. So you're spot on. Yeah. Yeah. I am having a great time with this conversation, but we actually went through all of the questions that I for you and I didn't even ask them. It kind of just came up in the conversation. <laughs> so is there anything else that you would love for people to know about Herd and Grace? I think I would just like people to know that 
so Savante is the president of Think Culinary, Savante Johansson. And he is a genius when it comes to steaks and proteins. And I've come on a little later because I have the background in marketing, but I've always been a fan of the steaks. And I just want to say, like from an objective point of view, these steaks are so good and I think everyone should try them. Go to Herd and Grace, read the story, read why these steaks are so amazing, where these cows are from in Tasmania. Literally the cleanest air in the entire world is the air that they breathe. The winds that blow over where they are don't have any industrial or cities or anything from beginning to end. Literally the cleanest air in the entire world, they measure it. It's a very exciting product to market because I believe in it wholeheartedly. And the other thing we're excited about is it's all halal certified. So that's very exciting, which again, speaks to how well the entire process is run because it wouldn't be halal certified if it's if it's not. Well, listen, thank you so much. This was such a treat. And thank you for answering the questions I didn't ask and doing my job for me. So really, awesome. thank, thank you. you. That was a great interview. I really appreciated it. We want to thank Jason once more for joining us. And you can find Herd and Grace at herdandgrace.com. If you liked what you heard, make sure to hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening from and check us out at rechargepayments.com slash hit subscribe for our latest episodes. Thank you.